Well, once again, it's good to see you. We're thankful that you're here with us this morning. Uh, looking forward uh, to what God has. And uh, I'm excited for uh, the fall and uh, the ministries that are starting back up. And uh, I'm particularly excited for our family fest next week. I, I, it actually was, it's, it was written down, you know, as a car show. It's an all-wheel show. So we will allow you motorcycle people uh, to bring your bikes as well. And uh, we, might, we might have some other vehicles uh, that are participating as well. So you have to come check it out. But we're excited for that and looking forward to it. We, just, we really hope and pray that it's just a blessing uh, to you as a congregation, to our families. Uh, we love uh, families. And uh, we're just looking for ways to just bless and provide where God is able to do that uh, for you guys. And uh, hoping it will just be a good time for you. And, uh, you know, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. Even if you don't have kids, there's going to be a lot of things for you to do and hopefully to enjoy, um, if nothing else, free food, right? So uh, why not? So, well, it's good to have you guys uh, here again, like I said this morning. Let me uh, just sort of begin our time by asking you a question. Uh, What is uh, spiritual growth? What is spiritual growth? How would you define that? And maybe a question beyond that would be this, is how do you grow spiritually? How are you, how do you, how do, you do that and how are you growing spiritually? And, and maybe a question even behind that would be, is are you growing spiritually? Is that something that you ever think about? You know, it's some type of a phraseology, right, that we use in church circles. Uh, but what does it really mean? And what does it mean to grow spiritually? And, you know, there's a lot of different things that we can sort of maybe think about that that could involve. And maybe it's just being here at church, right? Maybe you're here this morning and so you're growing spiritually. Maybe it's uh, praying. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's attending a Bible study. Uh, You know, I don't know. What what do you think? I I wonder what each of us would answer about that. And are you growing spiritually? Is it something that is part of your life? And so we want to sort of think about that a little bit and think about what it means to grow spiritually. And and here's the thing is that I think that sometimes we tend to sort of categorize it as things that we do. But I'd like to suggest to you this morning that it's more than that, right? That it's more than just what we do. I think that part of what we do contributes to our spiritual growth. But there's a little bit more to it than just that. It's not just the things that we do, but it's also a condition of our hearts, right? That it's partly an attitude with which we approach spirituality. And we're going to maybe try to define that term a little bit. It's an attitude with which we approach and define our walk with Christ, But it really is these two things, isn't it? It's not just the things that we do that might influence spiritual growth, but it is a condition of our hearts that desires spiritual growth. And really, I think that we can see that these two things are linked together, aren't they? Because we would say, right, that if we're doing a lot of things that would potentially lead to spiritual growth, but we don't have a heart condition that desires spiritual growth, that those things that we're doing would just be in vain, right? That they in and of themselves are not always going to produce spiritual growth. 
And vice versa is true as well, is that we might have a desire to do, you know, to grow spiritually. We might have a desire for spiritual growth. You know, I really want to grow in my walk with Christ. How many of us have ever said that? And yet, if we don't do the things that God calls us to do, then it just is a desire. And at some point, it will become dormant. And at some point, it might even go away. And so it seems that there are these two pillars, right, of spiritual growth that are both the things that we do, but also the condition of our hearts. And so I want to take a couple of uh, months and just sort of think through (laughs) spirituality and what does that look like, right? And uh, Pastor Paul is gone. He's on sabbatical. And so I'm going to be able to have an opportunity to just share with you a little bit about Uh, some of these thoughts. And we want to look at what is it that God calls us to do? How do we we grow? How do we grow spiritually in our walk with Christ? But it really is growth, right? It's a journey that we're on. And so before we sort of started looking at what it means to grow spiritually, I, I think it's important that we start with what about the condition of our hearts? And, and I think that really the, the journey begins with the heart of the believer. And so wherever you're at this morning, and maybe you're somebody who's not a believer, and maybe you're just seeking, maybe you're just checking it out. Maybe you're somebody who's come to Christ and you're a new believer and you're trying to figure out what it means to grow spiritually. Maybe you're a seasoned believer and you've been living for Christ for a long time, but you've seen the ups and downs and the ruts and the slow times and the peaks and the valleys. And so we're just trying to think through what is spiritual growth look like, but it really begins with seeking after the Lord. There's a lot of different verses in scripture that talk about seeking God. And really it's talking about this heart issue, this heart condition that we have. But it's important that we seek after God and then out of that to see what growth comes. You know, there's a woman who uh, had two young boys And these little boys were just a handful for her. And she was just having a struggle. And every day they were just getting into things and they were getting themselves into trouble. And it was just nonstop. And she was kind of at the end of herself. And so she went to her pastor and she said, you know, would you be able to come and to talk to my boys? Because I just don't see God in them. And so I just have these questions and maybe where I haven't been able to sort of figure things out with these boys, maybe if you would sit down and talk with him that you could figure it out. And so he graciously agreed to do this and he brought the two boys in and he decided that he was going to deal with them and talk with them one at a time. And so he left the younger one outside of his office and he invited the older one. He started with the older child, invited him into his office and sat him down. And of course, this little boy is sitting in this office of this pastor and uh, you know he's uh, intimidated he's not really sure how this like one-on-one conversation is going to go but the pastor was a kind man and he looked down at the boy and he said this to him he said young man where is God and as you can imagine the boy had no idea what to say and so he just sat there in silence and so the pastor repeated the question he said young man where is God And the boy still, he said nothing. And the pastor kind of upped his voice a little bit. And one last time he said, young man, I said, where is God? 
And the boy just immediately jumped out of the chair and he ran out of the room. He grabbed his little brother and he raced off from the church. And as he was running away, he shouted out, Bobby, they've lost God and they're trying to pin it on us. (laughs) You know, I wonder if in our lives we've ever felt like we've lost God, right? And I think that we would probably be accurate in saying that sometimes the outside world looks at the church and they think, man, they do a lot of things, but it seems like they've lost God. There's a question about the spirituality of people. And the world has a lot of different ideas and a lot of different ways in which it would seek to define spirituality. But the world is lost, it's hurting, it's broken, and it's looking for solutions. But it's not just looking for services and programs. I believe that the world is looking for sincere and genuine and authentic believers in Christ. People who are not just doing certain things, but people who have a heart that seeks after the Lord in a sincere and authentic way. See, when we're worshiping and we're following after Christ and we're walking with him, we're growing spiritually. Really what we're doing is we're responding to the faithfulness of God. It's what God has done for us in our lives and we are responding back, we're giving back, we're walking in a way that would honor him out of a response to his great love for us. And that, I think, is what the world needs to see. George Bernard Shaw one time said this. He said, if other planets are inhabited, then they must be using the earth for their insane asylum. Right? It's kind of funny, but it also reminds us of a very sad fact. The world is in a mess, and it does not seem to be getting any better. And so what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? What is the solution? Well, the solution is people seeking after God. The solution, I think a lot of us would say, is that the world needs a revival, that the church needs a revival, that in our nation, what we need is a people of God to be raised up and to walk with him and to ignite a fire that demonstrates the power of God so that change can take place. This last Sunday night, we had the opportunity to view the movie Jesus Revolution. And then we heard some sharing from those that experienced the sweeping revival of the Jesus movement. And one of the common denominators that was both in the movie and in the sharing time was what it is that leads to revival. And it is this, that it is desperation that leads to revival. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's a condition of a heart? It's an attitude, it's a mindset that would lead us to revival? I think that that's really true. And so this is the question that was raised is, are you desperate for God? Are you desperate? Not just are you interested, not just, you know, are you willing to go along with it, not just are you willing to show up, but are you desperate for God? Am I desperate for God? Do I hunger and thirst? 
Is, is God something that I do once or twice a week? Or is God something that embodies everything that I am throughout my week? Is it the focal point of my marriage and family? Is it the focal point of my job? Is it the focal point of my leisure and downtime? Is it central to who I am? Or is it a category that's fulfilled every week when I go to church? See, I think when we ask this question about what's wrong with our world, sometimes we arrive at correct answers, but not the correct answer. What's wrong with our world? I think it's a greater issue than just crime. I think it's a greater issue than just economic decline and poverty. It's a greater issue than just politics. It's a greater issue than all of the social issues. It's a greater issue than gender identity issues. It's a greater issue than gas prices, right? It is a bigger issue. And the greatest issue that is the problem in the world today, I believe, is a lack of proper placement. It's a lack of proper placement. And what I mean by that is that it has misplaced who Christ is and who we are. It has misunderstood. It has manipulated wrongly who Jesus is and who we are as people. When we understand who Christ is and who we are as lost sinners who are separated from Christ, then we will find desperation. Right? Because when it's just issues that we have problems with that are man's problems as a result of sin, then we can point fingers all day long. But when we begin to see that Christ is supreme, that he is holy, that he is above all and in control of all, and we begin to see that even as believers, that we have sin in our lives that breaks this fellowship, that distorts the truth of God's word, and that we are only saved by his grace, then it puts us rightly in a position of desperation because we realize in that moment that there is nothing good that can come in my life and nothing good that can come in my world apart from Christ. That all of my efforts and all of my ideas and all of my opinions about things are nothing in light of who Christ is. And then we find a place of desperation. It all really goes back to the events that are recorded in the book of Genesis. Except for the account in uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the first 11 chapters of Genesis records one failure of man after another. And they are failures that are frankly being repeated today. Uh, you can look throughout the chapters, you'll see uh, disobedience, right, from Adam and Eve. You'll see murder uh, with Cain and deception with Cain, drunkenness and nudity with Noah, and you'll see rebellion in the Tower of Babel. And yet, I think that all of those things sound pretty consistent and pretty current to the things that we see in our world today. We live in a world of chaos. But we will live in a world of chaos because of the sinfulness of mankind. It's the chaos of our lives. It's in the turmoil and confusion and uncertainty of our day-to-day -day that God then calls us to himself. 
Think about this, that instead of destroying the world, he invited and raised up a people to be a beacon of hope and light that would be demonstration, a demonstration of the power of God and the salvation of God. And the same thing is true for us, is that instead of destroying us, God invites us to seek him. And many times our journey of seeking God comes out of desperation. When we have hit rock bottom, when it seems that we have nowhere else to turn, when we have no other options. And so, like I said, for the next couple of months, I want to be able to use this time to think through our own spirituality and our own spiritual growth and that journey of spiritual growth. And and next week, I'll try to explain what I mean by that a little bit more. But I think that before we start talking about spiritual growth and what spirituality really is, because the world has a lot of different ideas on what it means to embrace spirituality. But before we get into that, we really have to take time to look at our hearts. And we have to make a decision, a choice. Do we want God to be in control of our lives? Does what God wants for my life actually matter to me? Am I desperate enough to have greater intimacy, not just knowledge? You know, last week we uh, had our fall ministry kickoff and um, had a lot of different ministries in the multi-purpose room and a lot of different good things that are uh, starting up here this fall. And we just want to encourage you with that. Uh, You can get some information at the desk back there or contact the office. And there's just a lot of good things. And we want to just, you know, invite you to be a part of what's going on in the church. But let me say this, that there are a lot of really good ministries that are available here at Riverside. There are good groups and good studies and good events that you can attend, uh, good teachers and people that are part of those groups. And we can join them all. But if our hearts are not desperate for God, then we will simply partake in activity. And we will never experience the transformational power of the Spirit of God. And so the question is, is do we want more of the same? Or do you want more of the supernatural, life-changing, world-changing power of God in your life. And so that's what we want to think about today. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Beginning next week, we're going to be spending a lot and most of our time uh, looking at Romans chapter 12. But like I said, before I do that, I want to take some time to just share a few thoughts as an encouragement about seeking God. And so what does it mean to seek after God? Does seeking simply mean attending? I would argue that a biblical understanding of seeking is more than just something that we do, but it is also an attitude that we have. It's a mindset. It's a desire. It is a goal that is born out of desperation. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we see the story of Abraham and his family. Now, in this particular passage, he's going to be referred to as Abram, and later he'll be uh, having his name changed to Abraham, but Abraham is how he's more commonly known today. In the midst 
of all the chaos of the world that came about once that sin entered into the world, God chose not to destroy, but to raise up a man in his family to bring about a new beginning. The story of Abraham and ultimately out of his line, the story of Israel is a a physical and historical representation of the spiritual work and plan that God has for you and I. And so here's what I mean by this is that in the book of Genesis, we have a very literal and historical event that took place about a real person and a real family and a real nation that exists today, the nation of Israel. And God has a covenant and promises with the nation of Israel that God is continuing to keep and will continue to bring about into fulfillment into the end times. They are blessings that are specific for the Jewish people. But the Jewish people also model and represent the picture of relationship that God wants to have with all those that would come to faith in him. And so there are principles that we see in the relationship between God and Abraham and God and the nation of Israel that are also true for us as Gentile believers that we can take hold of and that we can, uh, that we can enjoy and be, have, be a part of our lives. And so the same thing can be true of us, that out of the chaos of your life, God wants to give you a new beginning. Out of the chaos of your marriage, God wants to lead you to new lands. Out of the chaos of your job and finances, God wants to give you peace and security in him. Out of the chaos of your relationships, God wants to bring blessing and restoration. Out of the chaos of your pain and your hurt, God wants to provide healing and comfort. It is available, but we must take the journey. We must seek after God. We have to want it, to desire it, to be desperate for it, so that we will do whatever it takes to pursue it with everything that we have. It's not just what we do, but it begins with our hearts. And so this morning, I just want to read these nine verses and share with you, I think, four really basic elements to seeking after God. And for many of you, this is going to be nothing new. And and these are kind of fastballs right down the middle. I played baseball uh, for a little while when I was younger and was awful. And uh, (laughs) one of the ways that I was awful was I could not hit, you know, these sliders and cutters and curveballs and stuff I just couldn't hit the ball very well and that's probably why I ended up being a pitcher but uh, you know I just could never hit but you know where I was good I was good in the batting cages right because in the batting cages I knew exactly what speed it was coming and it was coming right down the middle and here's the thing I praise the Lord that God is not trying to strike us out amen and so there are really simple basic things And it doesn't mean that that automatically means that we're going to make contact and hit home run every time. But what it means is that God has given us some basic and achievable things through the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can grow spiritually. He's given us a roadmap. He spelled it out. And he gives us the power and the strength to actually accomplish it. And so we want to look at these four things uh, this morning just as encouragement 
uh, for us. So Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, if you want to read along with me, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Right away, one of the first things that we see is that seeking God involves sacrifice. And listen, I think that this is so important for so many of us to hear. Because there are so many times that we want the blessings of God. We want to walk with God. We want to experience spiritual growth. But as long as it doesn't cost me too much. Don't ask me to sacrifice too much of what I enjoy, too much of what I want. And yet, it is the basis with which spiritual growth happens. If you want to grow spiritually, you and I have to be willing to make personal sacrifices. And so God tells Abram to go. He specifically says, you need to leave. And notice in this passage, he says, there's kind of three categories in which you need to leave. One, he says, is that you need to leave your country, right? What does that mean? Well, he's talking about you need to leave and go to something that is not familiar. You're going to have to go beyond what is common, beyond what is familiar, what is known. See, faith is built on trust, and we're going to talk about that Uh, throughout our time, the rest of the time this morning. But it's not that we live in a constant state of uncertainty, but it's rather that faith is the rendering of our trust that allows us to see our certainty of God and his sovereign control in our lives in the midst of the uncertainty of our human circumstances. We've been seeing this in the last couple of months as Pastor Paul has been going through the book of Esther. Amen, that God has a providential control over our lives. And so even when the circumstances in our lives seem unknown, we can trust that God is going to be at work behind the scenes and that he's in control. And listen, for us to grow spiritually, a lot of times it means that we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to step out of the things that we can control, the things that are known, and be willing to be vulnerable so that God can show up. And take us to somewhere new. The sacrifice is of our view. We, we, we get to a point where we have to sacrifice our view and our understanding. And trust in God's view and God's understanding. But beyond that, he doesn't just say leave the country. He also says leave your people, your kindred. It's not just beyond what is familiar, but it's also beyond what is comfortable. It's how we feel. Now, feelings are kind of an interesting thing, right? Faith isn't based on feelings, although the emotions are certainly involved. True faith is based on the word of God. God spoke to Abraham and told him what he would do for him and through him if he would trust and obey. It is good to validate feelings, right? Feelings matter. How you feel matters. It's important. But... Feelings don't dictate our actions. And I would even say this, that our feelings, while they're important and valid, should come secondary to our feelings for God and his word, right? That we should have stronger feelings for God's will and for God's word in our own lives than our own feelings. And that's hard to do sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to escape our feelings, but it's sacrifice, We sacrifice how we feel and we trust in God's 
truth. The third thing that he tells him to leave is not just the country and the people, but also he says to leave your household. It's interesting here, right? It's not just where, you, where you're familiar, right? I want you to leave where you're comfortable. But then he also says, it's gonna, I'm going to ask you to leave where you are cared for. I'm going to ask you to sacrifice where your needs are best met. Now, this, this, I think, can be hard for us to hear sometimes because we prioritize these things in our lives that our needs, right? Isn't God the one who takes care of our needs and provides for our needs? Isn't it kind of God's responsibility to meet my needs? I think sometimes we think that. But listen, here's what we're saying is that faith is the release of control over self. So personal safety and health and material provision are never promised by God. In many ways, it is these very things that prevent us from being desperate in our journey with Christ. Because listen, when we have the materials that we desire, when we have health and we have a certain amount of safety and security in our lives, we feel pretty good. We feel like we've got things under control. We feel like we can handle things. And what that message sends, right? The message that that sends is we don't need God. And God says, no. I want you to be desperate. I want to remind you that you need me. And so that means that at times you're going to have to sacrifice things like safety. You're going to have to sacrifice things like health. You're going to have to sacrifice things like possessions and goods Things that are good, but they are not what's best. In many ways, this is how God turns our hearts. God God does promise us that he will guide us and protect us and provide for us, but we must be willing to accept that God's best, his manner in doing those things, might involve the sacrifice of our most desired pursuits. What if spiritual growth in your life was dependent on you and I sacrificing the things that we held the most dear? What would you do? What would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to lay at the altar? See, we live in a world that emphasizes and prioritizes our own personal happiness that you should seek to do whatever is going to make you happy. Be true to yourself. Chase your dreams and don't worry about what anybody else says and don't let anybody else get in your way. But God says, no, I want you to give up your personal happiness. I want you to give up your personal dreams so that you can find contentment and satisfaction and joy and blessing in in my will. In our world, we place feelings over facts and feelings over faith. But the journey of seeking God begins with sacrifice. There's a second element to this, and that's found in verses 2 and 3. It says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So seeking God not only involves sacrifice, but of course involves obedience, right? Right down the middle, right? Obedience, the part of seeking God means that we're obedient to his word. And God tells Abram to be a blessing. Notice here the and at the beginning of this. There is implied obedience, and we'll see it later in the chapter, that Abraham obeyed. And so these things happened. They came to fruition. He says, if you go, then this will be the result. If you're obedient, then you will experience blessing. You will experience spiritual growth in your life. And God made a specific covenant with Abraham that God continues to this day. And he will bring about in full fulfillment in the future for the Jewish people. But these are principles, again, like I said before, that apply to us today, even as believers who are children of God, who seek after God. But specifically, there are three parts to this. The the first thing we see is God's part. And God has three things that he provides for Abram to be a blessing. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you a great name. And and notice this. The three things that God just asked him to sacrifice are now going to see greater fulfillment and blessing in his life. I'm going to ask you to leave your country, but I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to ask you to leave your people, but I am going to bless you individually. And I'm going to ask you to leave your household, but I am going to give you a great name with a great amount of descendants. See that when we obey, there is sacrifice, and then there's obedience, and then there's blessing that takes place. And these things can be true for us. These are specific covenantal promises for Abram, but we can experience God's blessing in our life when we sacrifice and obey. Sometimes it takes sacrifice first because we spend so much time trying to fill our lives up, pursuing the things that we think are going to work in our own lives. And it's not until we are able to empty those things out that God is able to bring in the new things that he has for us. We have to get rid of the old before God can give us the new. And so God does his part. And so then there is our part, right? What what is our part in this? Well, to be a blessing means obedience. But here's the interesting thing about this is just like the Abrahamic covenant where God causes Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 to fall asleep and he walks through this, you know, ditch with these bloody animals. You can read it. It's a, a fascinating story. He makes this covenant while Abraham sleeps And he walks through the blood himself. It is to say, I am establishing this covenant with Abraham and with the nation of Israel. And it is going to be fulfilled on the basis of my righteousness and nobody else. There was nothing that Abraham or the Jewish people could do that would remove this covenant that God had made with them. Because the covenant was made with God and God himself. And here's the interesting thing for you and I is that God kind of establishes a similar covenant with us and it's a covenant of blessing through obedience. And here's the thing is it is conditional not on us being good enough, but it's conditional on the goodness of God. Aren't we thankful for that? And so 
the power that comes in obedience is not us mustering up enough willpower. It's not us being good enough, but it is actually yielding and submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit that then allows us and empowers us to be obedient. So God says, I want you to be obedient. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit that will give you the victory over sin and allow you to walk in that obedience so that you will always have the blessing of God at your disposal. Amen? And then lastly, there's God's response. He says, I will bless those who bless you. God will curse those who curse you. God will bless all people through the earth of the earth through you. You know, a lot of times when we think about sort of the missional statements of the church, right? We think of Matthew chapter 28 or even John 3.16. But really, right, this is one of the first sort of missionary principles of the world, right? That when we sacrifice and when we walk in obedience, the nations will be blessed. You want to be a part, part of missions? Do you want to be a missionary? come to Africa with us. (laughs) But if you also want to be a missionary and you want to be a part of missions, sacrifice and obey. Sacrifice and obey. And that's it because that's what the world will see and that's what will bring about change. It's on the basis of the promises of God. Joseph Parker once said this. He said, great lives are trained by great promises. Great lives are trained by by great promises. Do you want a great life, a spiritually rich life? It is trained on the basis of great promises. And this is God's promise to you, that he will give you the power to fulfill all that he has promised you through his spirit. Seeking God involves sacrifice. It involves obedience. And of course, seeking God involves trust. Look in verse 4. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. There's more than the obedience, right? Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And so it involves a step of trust. Obedience is going to demand trust in your life. Because obedience is not always going to be taking a step that is clearly in front of you where you know exactly how it's going to end up. It's not always going to be the easy thing. It's going to involve sacrifice. And so that means that there has to be trust. God tells Abram to move in faith. Now think about this. Abram was 75 years old. He has no children. He is trusting God. My dad just turned 75. That's old. But, you know, isn't this true? Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're five or if you're 75, that God can do a work in your life. Just because you reach a certain age does not mean that you have reached some sort of pinnacle of spiritual growth and that God is done working in you. It means that God, every time we walk through these doors and every time we open up his word and every time we extend our arms and worship, that we are opening a door for God to draw us into a deeper and more intimate space with him. And it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. There is always more to the journey that God has for you. Abram moved without knowing the results. Henry Blackaby said it this way, and I like this. He said, God wants 
a watching world to come to know who he truly is. He does not call you to get involved in his activity merely so that people can see what you can do. He will call you to an assignment that you cannot accomplish apart from his divine intervention. God's assignments have God-sized dimensions. When God is involved in anything, there are always eternal, divine dimensions, implications, and possibilities. God's ways are without limit. And when we trust him and walk with him, then we can experience the fullness of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who, exist, who seek him. So there is drawing near, right? Obedience, believing, faith, and trusting him. Trusting in this blessing. Abraham moved with those that God had given into his care. He moved with Lot. Uh, let's read again verse 5 through 7. It says, And Abraham, or Abram, sorry, took Sarai, again, she would have her name changed to Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. I think this is so great, right? Because sometimes it is difficult for us to sacrifice for ourselves, right? It's difficult to make personal sacrifices. But then when we're called to actually make sacrifices, that are going to cause sacrifice for the people that we love, for our family, then that can be even harder. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he said this, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes from the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back in listening to what the other voice, taking the other point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And of course, he's talking about the voice of God. It's trust. Well, the fourth and final element is in seeking God involves resolve. Look in Genesis chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. Excuse me. He said... So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. For there he had moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. It's resolve. God had called him to make sacrifices. He had called him to a point of obedience and trust. And then it's interesting that it didn't just happen. But Abram made a decision. He had a resolve in his heart. I think it came out of this place of desperation for him. And he builds this altar to the Lord. And he determines, he determines in his heart that he is going to, by faith, be the man 
that God has called him to be. He does this in a couple of different ways. He does it through worship, right? Worship is the recognition of God's glory, authority, worthiness, and love. There's glory in providence. There's authority in protection. There is praise in provision. And there is love in blessing. Uh, I like this quote as well. I'm giving, giving you a lot of quotes, but I think this captures it well. Louis Giglio said this. He said, true worship is a whole life response to God's greatness and glory. A response that taps our mind, our soul, our heart of passion, and all our strength. Worship is our response to God. We don't initiate worship. God does. He reveals. We respond. He unveils. We respond. He chooses to show us how amazing he is. And we say, God, you are amazing. Our whole relationship to God works the same way. He loves and we love in return. He calls and we answer. He leads and we follow. And so Abram worships God and he calls on his name. He proclaims, he proclaims the name of God. Sorry, I'm way behind. But here's the thing, right, is that we have this responsibility to seek after God. But he gives us the power to obey him and he blesses the nations around us. We become witnesses for his kingdom's sake. And then lastly, in verse 9, notice what it says here. It kind of, you know, seems almost just as a write-off, right? But it says, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. And I love that. He journeyed on. And I think that that's the challenge for you and I this morning, is that we would journey on, that we would continue on in the work that God has given us. It's a process. It is a journey of seeking after the Lord. In the 2000 Summer Olympics, uh, the USA women's softball team won its second gold medal. Lisa Fernandez was their pitcher that year, and one commentator said that she was arguably the best uh, women's softball pitcher, pitcher that the world had ever seen at that time. And she said this, she said that she found her source of strength and support that bridged all the highs and lows, the strikeouts and the home runs that life would throw her way. And so when they interviewed her, she said this, she said, being with God and walking with, as one with him has definitely fulfilled me. He filled the voids in my life. When I feel insecure about myself and I'm not sure where I am going, I can turn to him and I can open up the Bible. I can read a passage and all of a sudden my world has changed and my view is clear. And I think that that's good. I think it's so true that for you and I, that's what it is. That when we're seeking after the Lord, then all of a sudden our world changes and our view becomes clear. And so as we think about spiritual growth and what the spiritual journey looks like, there are different things that God calls us to do. But it really begins with a heart attitude. It begins with our heart being desperate for the Lord. And so I want to sort of come back to that and just end with this. Is Are you and I desperate for God? Do we have a hunger and a thirst? Because if we are desperate for God, then guess what? We'll make time for the things that we need to do. We'll make, make time to be at the things that we need to be at. 
We'll figure out a way to be the person that we need to be in the relationships that God has called us to because we are desperate for God to be at work. You know, but when we're feeling comfortable and we're feeling like life is easy and that we've got it all under control and that we don't really need God, then we begin to just do things our own way and we grow stale and stagnant in our walk. And eventually, we drift away. God's greatest desire for you is to know him and enter into personal relationship with him. His greatest desire for you and I is that we would seek after the Lord. And I just want to end with some scripture and then I'll pray. First Chronicles 28, 9 says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Psalm 27 Verse 8 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Proverbs 8 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Jeremiah 29, if you will seek me and find me, you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew chapter 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then lastly, Colossians chapter 3 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Decide, determine in your heart that you are going to seek the things above, not the things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. And God, we just ask that you would use it to strengthen our hearts. And God, we want to grow in our walk with you. Our desire is to know you deeper. God, to have a deeper walk with you and to experience greater blessing in our lives. And yet, God, we know that sometimes it's our own hearts that get in the way of that. It's our own desires and our own pursuits and our own misplaced priorities that keep us from experiencing all that you have for us. And so this morning, God, we ask and we repent. God, we repent where our hearts have strayed from you. God, where our hearts have desired things that are not your desires. God, that our pursuits and ambitions have chased things that are not your will. And so, God, we ask that you would realign us. God, we yield and submit our hearts to you. God, we want to be at one with you. We want to be one with you, God, in your spirit. And we want to not just know you, but we want to experience your power in our lives. And so, God, we pray that as we seek you, God, that you would reveal yourself more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.